Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and today's podcast episode is being released as a bonus episode. It was originally recorded as a regular weekly Wednesday episode, but given the events of the world right now, given some of the division that we're all facing, I had a message on my heart this morning that I recorded uh, and decided I wanted to put that in place of the episode tomorrow. So this is a special bonus episode, and tomorrow I'll release that episode on one thing you can do to heal the world. It's really one thing that all of us can do to heal the world. But today, you're going to need to hear a conversation between me and my good friend, Justin Donald. His new book, The Lifestyle Investor, the 10 Commandments of Cash Flow Investing for Passive Income and Financial Freedom comes out today on Amazon. So I highly encourage you to check out that book. If building your wealth, growing your wealth, protecting your wealth is important to you, then I really think you will get a lot out of the episode today. And uh, head over to justindonald.com forward slash free book. That is justindonald.com forward slash free book to pick up a copy of Justin's book. And I guess it's given away for free. He's doing some special promotions and bonuses and incentives. So you'll want to take advantage of that. And then uh, be sure to uh, tune back in tomorrow for the episode on one thing you can do to heal the world. But until then, I introduce you to my good friend, the one and only author of The Lifestyle Investor, Justin Donald. Enjoy. Justin Donald, long time no see, brother. I know. We actually were just hanging out last night with uh, Dave Chappelle. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know that I can say we were hanging out with Dave Chappelle. We were at his show. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Be- I like the way it sounds better, though, to be hanging out with Dave Chappelle. Well, I'll tell you what, I laughed about as hard as I have in a really long time. <laughs> yeah, well, he, Dave, Dave actually has a unique ability to make you feel like you are hanging out with him when you're watching his show, right? It doesn't feel he like does. he's... He's projecting comedy onto you as the audience. It's like he's having a conversation with you. Totally. Totally. We just had a blast, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good times, man. So, hey, so you've got a new book coming out, The Lifestyle Investor, The Ten Commandments of Cash Flow Investing for Passive Income and Financial Freedom. And I want to be very transparent for you and for my audience that I do not consider myself to be a very financially savvy individual. You know, I've got I've got the basics down, but um, nowhere near the realm that you're in. And I think I speak for you know for a good amount of my audience, right? This is not a financial uh, focused podcast. So with that, today is going to be as much for me as it is for the audience. And what I really want, Justin, is for people listening, including me, to walk away today with advice that we can immediately implement to improve our financial situation. Okay, I love it. Sound good? I think that's fantastic. All right. So your book's called The Lifestyle Investor. Let's start there. I like the sound of that, but what in the heck is a, a lifestyle investor and how do you become one? 
Yeah. So a lifestyle investor is just someone that makes a conscious effort to stop living a life based on the demands of wants or uh, income that's earned from a job, but it comes from a place where income is derived from investments. So mm. instead of having to work, someone has that choice of getting to work or having the opportunity to work, but it's on the things that they want to work on. And it's being able to take time off whenever they want to take time off. It's truly uh, the idea, uh, it, you know, I, when I coined that term, it was I wanted the income to encapsulate so much more than just money or financial. I wanted it to be true wealth, meaning touching other aspects of health and relationships and family. And to me, having a, the lifestyle I desire means I can put my time and energy into the people and the experiences that are most meaningful in my life. And I just don't want to be held back by a job because of the financial aspect of it or because of the time aspect of it. I just wanted independence of my time and I wanted to buy my time back and truly have freedom. Got it. I love the definition. So it's, it's really using money as a vehicle for, for the freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of us get caught up in the making money for the sake of making money and how much do I make and is it enough and do I have financial right? And I think it becomes a really stressful pursuit. We've known each other for over a decade and, and become really close in the last couple of years since you moved to Austin. Talk about how you made the transition because your background, you rose up as one of the top managers, not just managers, but were you, you were division manager? Correct. Yeah. Right? So you were operating, uh, running an organization with a bunch of other managers that you were leading who were leading sales organizations in the Cutco company. How did you transition? Uh, like, just talk about kind of how you went from, because you had a job essentially, right? And maybe, yeah. maybe that was part of the transition is turning that job into more of a passive pursuit. I don't know. So talk about how you, what was that like? What did you, what world did you come from and how did you transition into what you're doing now? Yeah, great question, Hal. And and you know, obviously, you and I had had a great experience with the Cutco organization, and we just learned some fundamental skills and foundational principles that have helped us really excel in other areas of our life, and and even professionally when we were ready to kind of move to that next chapter. And for me, I knew that it was a placeholder. Uh, it was great while it was great, and when it wasn't great, I knew that a transition needed to take place. And so I always envisioned a situation where I would work hard, I would make the income that I could make, I would live a lifestyle that was beneath my means or beneath what I could afford to live. So I had extra money that I was saving every single week, every single month that could then go into investments that produced cash flow. And slowly but surely, that cash flow just kind of grew and grew. It grew, one, because uh, I helped the investment get better, right? I added value to it. And secondly, it grew because every time I made more money from my job, I would invest a portion of that into another income-generating asset. And so over time, the, the passive income was able to first cover my bare minimum expenses, a mortgage, utilities, food, all the things that we needed as a family to survive, then you know, eventually it, it covered. I mean, even before that, it covered my wife's salary. So, uh, as a teacher, she was making about thirty-six thousand dollars a year. So, step one was how do I cover that with mm -hmm. passive income? Step two then was how do I cover my bare necessities for us as a family? And then step number three was really how do I create and cover the current lifestyle that I have today with passive income so that I don't have to work 
I get to work. I can choose where to work and how long to work and what are the topics that I'm most interested in and who are the people I'm most interested in working with. Beautiful. Well, so I want to ask in a second what your, uh, or actually let's do it right now. What was the first income stream that you, at, that you brought into your world when you were working? Well, the first one that I brought in uh, was not a successful one. The first okay. one was my, my primary residence. Uh, I bought a condo in Chicago in Lincoln Park. And it was a great place to live. But uh, unfortunately, I had, uh, well, fortunately and unfortunately, I had an opportunity uh, within a couple of months of buying the place to have a promotion and, and move to another state for the Cutco organization. And, and so what ended up happening is I had this great place that I loved. I had a roommate and I was able to, between what I was earning and what my roommate was, was paying, it wasn't too much of an out-of-pocket. Now, once I moved out and I had to have two renters originally, and then eventually I ended up just getting one renter in there, it was really hard to cash flow that thing. So bottom line is it didn't cash flow. It didn't make money. I bought it in the peak at about the time where prices were the highest, right yeah, before there, everything crashed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there was an HOA, you know, condo fee. Uh, I had another crazy situation. I was the top unit of this uh, mid rise building and the roof leaked and just totally damaged my uh, unit. But because of the. The rules and the bylaws and a bunch of different things, insurance and how that works. Uh, I ended up being out of pocket on that. My insurance didn't cover it. The homeowners mm. association didn't cover it. So I had to pay for it. And so that was an experience where I said, okay, this didn't work out as planned. <laughs> I think that if I'm going to have rental property, it needs to be from the standpoint of it being rental property from day one, not from it being a place that I was going to live in and then turn into a rental property. So I learned a tough lesson there, but that lesson ultimately ended up being one of the best things that ever happened because I didn't dabble anymore with assets that don't cash flow. I knew that day one, they needed a cash flow. And I then invested in my very first mobile home park and that cash flowed day one and it replaced my wife's income day one or just, I mean, barely, basically her after-tax income, it, it almost covered that. Got it. So the first, so well, I love hearing, by the way, it's so great. You see someone that's financially free and you go, oh, you didn't just get it right the first time, right? <laughs> you know, you, you tried and you failed and you had to figure it out and, and pivot and, and, you know, and keep going forward. So the first was you had uh, your residence that you tried to rent out, wasn't successful. And then your, so then the first profitable passive cash flowing investment was a mobile home park. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And it, it was funny because at first, I had a friend, we have a mutual friend actually, yeah. uh, who introduced me to this whole idea. And I remember thinking to myself, that does not sound like a good investment. I don't, I don't know why he's doing that. And, but I, I watched him and I'm, I'm a real good copycat, Hal. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't come up with myself because that's not my strength. My strength is to take a program or uh, an idea and just totally mimic and copy uh, whoever's best in class at it until I feel like I've got a good foundation. And yeah. once I have a good foundation, then I feel like I can have a little bit of uh, nuance or I can, I can innovate in areas where I feel like it might make sense to innovate. And so that's what I did. I modeled my friend. I saw he had success. And I said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. There, there's nothing about him that makes him special 
to the point that I couldn't replicate it. Uh, he's a hard worker. I can be a hard worker. He, you know, learned the numbers. I could learn the numbers. Uh, he had, he set a criteria for what it would need to look like for him to be able to purchase one of these properties. And I could do that and I could just model his. Yeah. I love that. I think it's one of the most important strategies for success is just to model is just to look at, Hey, if another human being has achieved a result, that's evidence that I can achieve it too. If I simply follow in their footsteps and do what they do, which is what I love about, about books, right? Is that you can take someone's, you know, decades of experience that they spent a lot of time condensing into, you know, a couple hundred pages that you can read, you know, in a few weeks. I love that. So, all right. So your first was going to a mobile home, uh, buying a mobile home park. And by the way, if somebody wants to like go down, if they're like, well, two questions for you. One, why? What is appealing about mobile home parks? And I kind of, this is one answer I kind of know because I've, I've talked to you about this, but what's appealing about mobile home parks? And is that something that, uh, you know, if somebody's interested in that, where, where would they go learn how to buy a mobile home park if they don't, you know, in, other than working with you, obviously, or reading your book? Sure. Yeah. Mobile home parks are probably the easiest asset class, cash flowing real estate asset class to own because the, the amount of time that you spend actively doing that business is much less than everything else because it's just a low maintenance business. Generally, uh, the, the residents own their own home or you buy properties that that is the case. And so they are in charge of maintaining it. And all you really have to do is maintain the utilities to their home. So making sure that there's water and sewer and you know electric that all goes to the home. But from there, uh, it, it's just not a, a, a high cost type of uh, real estate asset class. It's a low time intensive real estate asset class. You can hire an on-site manager to do most of the work in terms of rent collecting, or you can even just automate it based on today's technology. Uh, additionally, you can buy them at the highest cap rate. You know, I'm still buying parks that are 10, 11, 12, 13 caps. And what that means for those that don't understand a, a cap rate or a capitalization rate, the best way to, to describe it is let's say that you are buying a property in 100% cash. A cap rate would be your return on that money in a year. So if I buy something at a 10 cap, it means I'm going to earn a 10% return if I had bought it in cash in full. Hmm. And it's one of the most important metrics to measure in investment. The two main ones that you would use for real estate would be a cap rate and a cash on cash return. And a cash on cash return just simply measures what is the return that I got on my investment of just the dollars I put in? Meaning, if you're going to use a bank and you only have to put 20% down, well, that 20%, whatever that dollar amount is, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, it's the return on those dollars. So okay. those are your kind of your two big numbers that you make most real estate decisions on. And if you understand those, you real estate, I mean, that's it. That, that's real estate for you. There's a lot of other details you could get into, but those are the two most important details. And so I'm curious, how old were you when you bought that first park and how much did it cost? And we won't go too deep into this, but a couple more questions on it. Yeah, sure. So the, the first park that I bought, uh, I ended up putting, let's see, it ended up being a 15% uh, down payment. So that first park was, I believe, $425,000. And I put down $65,000 to buy it. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and I did that, I believe, at 27 years old. Wow. And, and, and that replaced, and so that brought that cash flowed roughly 36 grand a year. Is that what we're 
Is that right? Well, 36 grand is what uh, my wife made prior, you know, that, that was her gross income. So once you take taxes out, you know, uh, it was probably it. closer to like 28,000. But it was enough uh, to replace her income. It was, it was, yeah. it was just under that, that we returned. So we got a 36% cash on cash return, which is really exciting. I mean, most people are excited with like a 10 or 15% cash on cash return. Yeah. And so, you know, we're getting over double, maybe triple what a real estate investor would be excited about and right out of the gates, right on our first real investment. Fantastic. And you own how many parks now? Uh, so now we own five parks. So we've bought and sold parks and uh, we've bought and held parks, but currently we have five in our portfolio, about 500 units. Got it. Okay. And just to be clear, give, give us a high level overview real quick, because for someone that's listening, you're not, you know, this isn't your one deal. You're not just a mobile home park investor. That's one of your avenues. What else do you invest in? Well, what happened with the mobile home parks, I'm so glad I started there because it created so much cash flow that not only was I able to cover my lifestyle expenses, but it gave me uh, additional cash flow above and beyond it that I was able to reinvest into other opportunities. Mm. And so some of the things that I love to invest in are operating companies. If I believe that a company has a strategic advantage or I can negotiate uh, a really good set of terms that is a win-win for both me as an investor, but also the, the owner of the business, then there are really cool ways to be able to earn cash flow on a business, to be able to earn you know, a percentage of the revenue that, that comes in or a percentage of profit that comes in or just you know, loan a company money with an interest rate that you're going to get for a set period of time. Uh, and that brings me to another type of investment that I love, which would be uh, debt investing. So instead of uh, investing in equity where you own shares or equity in a, a company, uh, you would instead be a debt investor and you would just own you'd basically have a debt obligation that they would have to fulfill that becomes the priority in a case where a company doesn't do well, it becomes the first priority to get paid back before the equity investors. So there's incentive being on the debt side, because if anything goes wrong, you're first to get paid. And if you structure it the right way, uh, you really shouldn't lose money. So those are a couple of, of great ways that I've been able to build my wealth and create more cash flow uh, just from the cash flow that I already started with. Beautiful. I, I want to mention a couple things, and then I want to break it down to, you know, can anybody do this? Can anybody become a lifestyle investor? But what I want to mention is just it, it, tying in my own experience. So I, I've said this for a while. Um, I don't say it often on the podcast, but I, I bring this up occasionally. I've written about it on entrepreneur.com that creating multiple sources of income and ideally multiple sources of passive income is arguably the single most important thing that you can do in your life for finance for to be a lifestyle investor for financial freedom. And you and I have done that in very different ways, right? We have different life and now you're actually you're 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 modeling a lot of the ways. Now you've got a book coming out, you've got an online course coming out, you got a coaching program coming out. But for me, right, my passive income sources are I've got uh you know 13 books. And each book is like owning a property, right? I actually had this conversation with our friend David Osborne. I'm like, hey, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really want to invest in real estate. Like, I'm just not interested in it. I go, can I just keep writing books? And each book is basically a like having a rental property. And he looked at the numbers. He was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. That, that's a good way to look at it, right? 
you know, and then doing online uh, courses and, and we've done live events and different things. So having multiple streams of income so that you're never dependent on a single source because, and to me, and I don't, I don't mean this to come off the wrong way, but in some ways I felt like that was even irresponsible because in 2008, when I, I had one source of income, I was coaching a economy crashed, lost over half my clients, couldn't pay the mortgage. And I went never again. Like never again will I rely on one source of income because then I'm exposed, right? If, if you have a job and that's all your income comes from your job and then you get laid off, like millions of Americans have been in the last six months, well, now you're in trouble. But if, you've, you know, if you get laid off, but you've got three other things going on the side, now you can pour more time and energy into those things, grow those as sources of income, and now you're okay. So with that, I just want to get people to understand that it's not, right, you invest in a lot of different things that I know nothing about, right? <laughs> like I don't know your world, you know? And then I, I have my way of doing it. So I want to I ask just a real simple question. But for anybody listening, can anyone become a lifestyle investor? Or do they need to come from like your background and my background? You know, we both came from a, a sales background. Is that necessary? Or can anybody listening become a lifestyle investor? Anyone listening can become a lifestyle investor. It's funny you brought up David Osborne because I literally just interviewed him like just this last hour, right before we started talking oh, nice. on my podcast on the lifestyle investor. And we were talking about this exact topic of, you know, what it takes to be successful as an investor and, and what the nuance of lifestyle investor really means. And so the answer is for sure. Yes. It's it, the, the people that can succeed at this are, are people that choose to be a student of whatever it is that they need to learn to do it. So uh, you don't have to have a certain background. I don't know that being a sales guy, like that it helped me be a better investor. You know, Did it help me have confidence in talking to people? Sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you need that to be a good investor. I think that there are ways that that can make you a good investor. I don't have... you know, It's not like my background is all this financial stuff either. I mean, I studied finance in school, but I don't use anything that I studied. I mean, yeah. it, it's almost like it was a foreign subject. Uh, it's, it's just what I learned and what I do today, they're, they're two different things. Not to mention, a lot of what I learned is conditioned by what Wall Street wants to feed the education system. And, and you know, the people that uh, are in positions of power and influence have a message that they send where they say, hey, we want your money. We're going to give you what, you know, we're going to give you this good return and we're going to sell you on why you should invest your money with us. And I actually don't think that that in most cases serves people really well, especially when it's high fee products and especially when it's a nest egg approach of having all of your assets accumulate in one place in the stock market where an advisor who's not even a fiduciary, meaning he doesn't have to have your best interests in mind, he or she, and they can make decisions based on the commissions that they make and what's best for them, that this is kind of the norm. And that to me is really risky. Uh, I think the ups and downs of the stock market is risky in its own because let's say that you want to retire and you wanted to retire in March of this year when the stock market crashed. That would have been a really painful time to retire and not enough time to be able to earn your money back. And people think that just because the stock market returned to the number that it was at before that you've made all your money back. But if you run the math and run yeah. the numbers, that's not how it works. Yeah. So yeah. if you have $100,000 in the stock market and the stock market goes down by 30%, 
and then it comes back up by 30%. It doesn't mean that you're back to a net zero. You lost money. So there are some manipulations out there that I think most people fall in the trap of because they... They've never learned or had a financial education to say anything other than the conventional way of investing. Yeah. Let me, I want to break down those numbers real quick for anybody listening. So what the example Justin just gave, right? If you lose 30% in the stock market, now you're at $70,000. If you make 30%, you make 30% on that $70,000, which is uh, $21,000. So now you're at $91,000, right? So just just so you just to, for people to really get that math, because you're, you're absolutely right. And I want to ask you that. What are some of the other issues with conventional investing? You know, f- what most popular 401ks uh, in the stock market in general, qualified plans, right? These traditional investment products that, like you said, you know, are if you're going to financial education school, you know, traditional education, you're being taught to sold these products that benefit the guys that are funding the school, much like big pharma and the medical system, which it's another conversation. But so what are some of the issues with some of these conventional uh, investing uh, strategies? Well, one of them is the example you just gave. There's something called an average rate of return. And this is what your advisors typically uh, share. And by the way, not all advisors are bad. Sure. You know, there are plenty of advisors out there that, that care about their clients and do what's best for them. But there are also plenty that don't. And so I think it's important to double check that and, and to really ask the tough questions. But the example you just gave would be an example of an average rate of return. Someone might say, oh, yeah, on average, uh, your return was... 10%. Well, that doesn't mean that you earn 10% because if the market's high and the market's low, it doesn't balance out. Like the average could be 10%, but your actual return is different. So mm-hmm. I don't care about an average return, an average rate of return, because that's not a real dollar. That's not going to produce the real dollar amount that exists. So in the example that, you know, Hal just gave where it was, you know, $100,000 down to 70,000. So it was 30%, but then you grew 30% more. You know, so you, you had a, a negative 30 and a plus 30. So the average rate of return is 0%, but the actual rate of return is negative 9%. Mm-hmm. It's 91,000 yeah. of 100,000, you know? So, like, so that's an example where it looks like on average you broke even, no big deal, but you didn't, you lost money, <laughs> you know? So that I have big issues with. The fees that exist in a 401k mm. are the highest fees out there. I mean, I would ask today, whoever your employer is, like, what is, your fee structure because most are three to four percent, which is abnormally high. Mm-hmm. Even mutual funds are generally like two point five to three point five percent. They're gen- they're a little bit less. They can be the same, but they're often a little less. But even that's really high. Yeah. I mean, you, you and then here's another crazy stat for you. Spiva is a a, a financial. Let's call it a. Uh, it's a data driven capture of kind of what's happened over the last 15 years, or it's one resource you can use to find out what really happened over the last 15 years. And uh, the newest report that came out for year-end 2019 said that in the last 15 years, 95% of financial advisors who make a fee on their client's money, so 95% of managed accounts, did worse Hmm. than if you just invested in an index like the S&P 500, which are the collection of the 500 biggest companies. Yeah. So not only did they perform worse, but you paid 2 3 4% in fees. Whereas if you did it yourself and you just went to TD Ameritrade or uh, any of these other you know, brokerage sites, 
you could buy into these indexes at the lowest cost possible, 0.5%, 0.6%, the lowest amount to have access to this type of exposure, and you're going to get better results. So yeah. it's it's absolutely crazy. And most people don't know that. So that you know, these are just a, a few examples of you know, following traditional investment advice and how I don't think that it is best for most people. I also don't know that you want all your eggs in one basket. Uh, I just, I think that's risky. I think there should be exposure in a lot of different asset classes. What about timing the market? You know, with uh, right now, the market is the highest it's ever been in the history of the market. And that, you know, is what they would call a bubble and, you know, leads itself to burst. And so, if uh, any thoughts you have on the stock market, like if somebody has money right now in a 401k. So for me, for example, I just, I realized, all right, the market's going crazy. This can't last forever. And then, and then actually when COVID hit and it started to burst, I went, shoot, because I hadn't taken it out yet. And I was kicking myself and then I got proactive right away. But so right now I'm in mostly cash. You know, I've, I've taken mo- most so that my, my risk is, is very limited, you know, wait for the market to crash again. If somebody has a 401k or they've got money in stocks or they're trying to time the market, like what are your thoughts on where the market's at right now? And I know you're not giving, you know, this isn't fi- certified financial advice. You're telling people do this or do that. But what are your general thoughts on timing the market and uh, specific to where we're at right now? Well, I think since we're all emotional uh, creatures, you know, human beings are just not good at making these types of decisions. And generally, when things are high, people want to buy more. When things are low, people are scared to buy. And so you actually want to do the opposite of what you your, your intuition tells you or what your gut, what your feelings tell you. So uh, a lot of people don't know that you can actually take your money that's in qualified plans and you can self-direct it and you can invest it yourself in other things. You don't have to have it managed by uh, people that are charging really high fees. So could it make sense to take some exposure off the table? Sure. you know. And, and are there other things that you can invest it in? Without a doubt. Uh, anytime that the market's at a high, I like to you know, capitalize on the profits that I've made. And anytime that it's at a low, I like to be able to you know, edge in. And when I invest in the market, I'm not, I'm not a day trader. I'm not trying to like, sure. you know, make money on this one exchange over the short period of time. I'm going to invest over the long haul. I do think over the long haul, the stock market is a good place to invest. I just think it would be better to do it with a smaller percentage or smaller allocation of someone's total net worth. And I also think it's better to do once you have cash flow covering your expenses, and then you can take the additional cash flow as investment for it. So that to me just feels a lot better, a lot safer, a lot more de risk. So I I think that there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat, but that would be one of them. And that's kind of how I subscribe to it personally. Gotcha. You know, I know you're working with a lot of clients right now in groups, one-on-one, helping them invest, become a quote unquote lifestyle investor. Uh, Do you have like a story? Tell us about one or two of your, your clients and how you've helped them to become a lifestyle investor. Yeah, so I've got different tiers. So, you know, I, I take on anywhere from four to six kind of high net worth individuals on a one-on-one basis. And we do a deep dive. And the goal is to help create a situation where they have uh, really good cash flow coming uh, and, and that they have some good diversification. And I love alternative investments. And so I, I spend a lot of my time learning and exploring that. So that would be investments other than stocks and bonds. Okay. 
Uh, and so I'm a big fan of real estate. I'm a big fan of these debt instruments that I've talked about. I'm a big fan of operating companies and private equity. And so uh, th- these are just some examples of things that I would go through with them. And from there, you know, it's it's such a small group that I work with because my goal is not to scale that business. I just love it. And I love helping people that can play the game of investing at a high level. And so I'm going to spend some time with them. Then I've got a mastermind. And the mastermind is is more geared towards a group approach. So I'm not getting into everyone's numbers and financials and kind of wealth on a, nitty, you know, on a detailed level. But I am giving overall uh, strategies and philosophies to investing and offering uh, different investments that I have exposure to that most people don't have exposure to. I've got an investors club that uh, we do regular calls with, and, and that's fun. And then we've got uh, an online course for people that are maybe just trying to get their foot in the door and say, hey, I don't know all the details. I'm still new. I'm learning, but I want to learn. I'm eager to learn. And so that's at a much lower price point that I think most people could could pull the trigger on if they were in a place where they wanted to do that. Got it. All right. And any specific stories of of clients that you've helped to become a lifestyle investor? Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite clients that I work with uh, came to me at first. He was uh, kind of apprehensive. He's like, I know I need to learn. I know I need to be educated on you know exactly what to do here. He's a very successful entrepreneur, had a big exit, sold his company. Uh, has an investment in another company that is likely going to be even bigger, but he has a, a pretty expensive lifestyle. And it's expensive because he had a business that cash flowed a lot and allowed him to afford that lifestyle. But the moment he sold that business, all that income went away. And so now to afford his lifestyle, he would have to be drawing upon the principal. And if he keeps drawing down the principle of what he made selling his business, he's eventually going to go to zero. And he recognizes that. Yeah. And so uh, we are working together. It's a year-long agreement. And my goal is to teach him how to fish. I'm not, my goal isn't to just help people invest money. My goal is to help them understand what they should be looking for. And so you know, this private client of mine he and I have become great friends and we just the banter that we have back and forth is just so fun and it's spectacular but you know he's done double digit deals and has easily made back uh, you know what it cost him to invest with me uh, and he did so in a really quick period of time and so everything from here now is is gravy you know it's he's making extra returns on each investment he's able to do stuff long term he's got some short term protections uh, but he's got the education for the rest of his life and and I love that he was able to see the big picture because it's not, you know, the, if you're going to coach with me one on one, that's not cheap. But the value of it long term is tremendous. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so I, uh, I know you have your first book coming out. This is a long term dream. I have seen you over the past six to twelve months just writing, writing, writing nonstop. Uh, I'm pumped for this. So the book is the Lifestyle Investor. Can you tell us the about, you know, what's the book about? Who's it for? And what's it about? Yeah, so the the subtitle of it really sums it up. It's the 10 commandments for cash flow investing for passive income and financial freedom. And so what are the 10 commandments? The 10 commandments are my 10 criteria that I have for whether or not I make an investment. Hmm. So it's kind of like my guiding principles of do I invest here, do I not? My my goal was to get out of a place of making emotional investments and saying, ooh, this sounds good. This feels good. Oh, I really like this person. I think they're going to do a good job. 
I don't want to make decisions like that. It's too subjective. Yeah. So I created this core criteria based on you know over 100 different investments that I've done that model these. And I was able to kind of extrapolate that this is what I look for. And so it, at first, it was more at a subconscious level. And then in the process of writing this book, you know, it's kind of like what, what you've said, you just have all these realizations. And so, I mean, I'm modeling you here. I've seen you for years, you know, writing a book and, and the process that you've done to do it and some of the major ahas that you've had because of self-discovery. And I feel like I'm on that journey, thanks to a lot of your leadership there, Hal. And so it's been neat just, you know, kind of laying out what it really looks like, you know, in, inside of a book. And I'm really proud of the work that I've done, and I know that it can do a lot to help people, especially those that are kind of tired of a rigged game. You know, the, the current way of investing, it's a rigged system. Wall Street wins, and then you may or may not win. And that's just unacceptable to me. I want to create something that is not based on how to help others win, but it's how to help uh, individual investors prosper and flourish because they're taking care of their own financial needs in a, a more safe and secure way. I love that, man. I can't wait to read, read this book personally. You know, I, I know you, you're one of my best friends and I know, first of all, your heart, right? I know how spiritual you are. I know your dedication to your family and your dedication to integrity. And so that's one beautiful thing is that when you're reading a financial book, sometimes you don't know, right? Who's this really for, right? Is it really for me? Is it really for the guy that wrote it? You know, and I know this comes from a really pure place, and uh, and I love it because you're at such a high level now of investing, and I know this is designed to take the average person or someone who is. That, that's the beauty of this is I think that knowing you know we've had a lot of conversations about what's in this book, and knowing that whether you are literally a novice and you know and and just want to become a lifestyle investor or you're already an investor and you want to take it to the next level, I think this book is, is for you. So I know you're giving away the book. You're doing like a free plus shipping deal. How, where do people get the book from? Yeah. So they can go to justindonald.com. There's a pretty link for it, but just to keep it all simple, just justindonald.com and you can kind of navigate to the book tab on there. And uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a bunch of different opportunities there. There's a ton of free resources on the website as well. You can get added to my email list if you'd like. I've got all kinds of fun things that I send out, uh, you know, an investor's club. Um, but you know, e even something as simple as an online uh, course, if you're really serious about growing your own financial education, you know, that, that's available as well. But yeah, the, you know, we're, we're doing a, a nice giveaway on the book uh, there at justindonald.com. Awesome, brother. Well, everybody listening, the book is The Lifestyle Investor, The Ten Commandments of Cashflow Investing for Passive Income and Financial Freedom. And uh, I don't know about you, but you know, having the freedom to live your life on your terms and not be restricted by your financial situation to where you can't spend as much time with your family or you can't focus on your health or you can't enjoy your life the way that I think we all deserve to, you know, those barriers, I think Justin's book will help remove those for you and, and for all of us. So Justin, thanks for the work you're doing, man. I really appreciate you. Well, thanks, Hal. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for your friendship and your support. And uh, I'm just excited to get this out in the world because I think it can make a huge change and impact for the better. Awesome. Everybody go to justindonald.com, get the book. And uh, I love y'all. I'll see you next week. 
Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast.